you're new with us today, hey, we're in this series called God Wins, because guess what? God what? God wins, and he wins forever and forever and forever. For everybody, everybody who follows him also wins with God. Amen? And it's so good to see so many smiling faces instead of just eyebrows and eyes that I can see you this morning. So, yes, I feel a little freer. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's just so, so good to see you and your smile. Let's pray. God, please prepare us to receive your word this morning. Open our minds and our hearts to your truth. Please, God, as we, as we ask every week, please pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Oh, Holy Spirit, may you begin to convict us in areas of our lives that we may not have ceded to you. And may we just cede them to you this morning. We want to be all in. We want to follow you in every way and every day. We need you, Holy Spirit, in us, empowering us to say no to sin and yes to do. So please, Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Do your holy work. We just want to reflect your image in every way. In your mighty name we pray and ask. Amen. Hey, before we get, begin, I, I need to ask a favor of you. This Thursday, 7 o'clock, we're having a, a, a worship and prayer service with people, other believers throughout our state. So they're going to be here, and, and we're going uh, to be interacting with our worship team on, on Thursday night, and I'm, a couple of my colleagues, some other pastors are going to join with me as we just pray over you, people, the world, our state, coming in and out of worship. So I just want to invite you, if you like praise and worship and you like prayer, come Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Also, Friday night, 6.30, right here, we're going to be ordaining people. Uh, and that's kind of a beautiful thing for people who, who have, been, have this call on their life, uh, and, and we're, just, we're just laying hands on them and saying, hey, we believe. We just affirm this call that, that God has put on you. And, and, and one of our own is being ordained. So I want to invite you to come and, and celebrate. That's, that's Pastor Jenna. She's going to be ordained on Friday night, 6.30. Yeah. So if you guys wouldn't just come out and celebrate uh, with her, that would be great. So you ready? You guys ready? All right. Ready? In your face. No, seriously, in your face. When I was growing up, that was the popular taunt of the winner over the loser. I heard that phrase, that taunt so many times growing up, man. I heard it, there's no, I heard it at sporting events. I heard it in debates. I even on occasion heard it in lovers' quarrels. And yes, I said it many times myself. To put something in someone's face is to draw attention. It's a way of saying to someone, hey, face the harsh reality. You've just been beat, loser. John has been putting evil in our face throughout this letter of, of Revelation. And it takes really a strong stomach to stick with him through all the grim and grisly images that he portrays here. In vision after vision, we see evil at work, like evil's in our face. We, we see, John, John shows us evil through, remember the four horsemen, the horsemen of conquest and anger and death and poverty that are working through people to wreak havoc in people's lives. We see this evil in this, in this image of, of, of locusts that sting like scorpions. 
and, and, and 200 horsemen, 200 million horsemen that kill. We see this image of evil in, in, in chapter 12 of Revelation uh, in, in something called the red dragon, which, which is really trying to take Jesus out. We see this image of evil in chapter 13 of Revelation, something called the, the sea beast, which is really the bully, and the land beast, which is really the deceiver, the false prophet, who's trying to brand us with this, this number 666. Well, it's really trying to brand us in our living because our living reveals who we really follow, right? Repentance always brings evidence with it, and that evidence is change of behavior. And we see this image of evil in the great prostitute. You didn't know there was a prostitute in Revelation, did you? Yeah, the great prostitute who's trying to seduce us to come over to the dark side. These dark characters, they they leave a trail of, of broken lives and broken relationships. Like everywhere they go, people experience pain and despair and brokenness and death. So the question that these people that are reading this letter, these, these, these people, these seven churches in Asia Minor, they, they must be asking this question by now. So when does evil end? Because it's brutal. Well, for John, it ends in Revelation chapter 20. In seven short scenes, John describes the end of evil. Scene one is this, the heavenly warrior. In Revelation chapter 19, beginning at verse 11, John tells us this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God." The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords, with fiery eyes, a blood-stained robe, a sword, and an iron scepter, a rider comes riding on a white horse. His name, the word of God. His army, the saints around the throne, whose, whose robes have been made white by the same blood that made his red. It's Jesus. And he is on a war path to deal with the evil powers that have been causing pain and despair and brokenness and death. This, my friends, this is the imagery of war and all of the violent implications that go, that go with it. Jesus and his heavenly warriors, man, they're coming to confront evil and only one side will be left standing. All of these evil powers, all of this evil that has been in our face, now must come face to face with Jesus. Hear me on this. Jesus is fighting for you. Jesus is fighting for us. We usually don't think about what Jesus does for us in those terms. That's what he's doing. Hear me again. He's fighting for us. And he's bringing all, as we will see, all of the martyred 
Christians to fight along with him. Jesus, Jesus is confronting this evil that has just been in our face. Scene two, the victory feast. John says this, continuing in verse 17. He says, and I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse in his army. That is to make war against Jesus Christ and all the followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, but, so they're going to go to war, right? But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed signs on his behalf. Back in chapter 13, John talks about these beast of the sea, that's the bully, and this false prophet and what they're trying to do in our life. He brings them back in, in, in Revelation chapter 19 for one last curtain call. Now for these people, these seven churches of Asia Minor, these beasts, his falls, they represent Rome. In Rome's emperor cult. In Rome's systems of, of sacrifices and gods. And for us, these two, they, they, they represent evil in people. Maybe even us when we power up over people. They represent evil in systems and institutions that may oppress around our world. They, they, they represent evil in various cultural practices. So I want you to think about how the evil, the beast, Evil one in various forms may be getting you to do things, to like things, to experience things, to practice certain things, to make certain things a part of our rhythms that only lead us down a path of destruction. Huh. Ponder that. What do we do with our time? Where do we spend our money? What do we really worship? With these signs, he, this beast, had deluded, that is, deceived, led astray, whatever word you want to use, those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image, that is, those who chose not to follow God. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Evil will not stand. Evil did not stand. Rome, if, you're, if you know history at all, Rome fell as will every evil worldly power that stands against God, bar none. At some point in time, they will. We've seen it in our own lifetime, haven't we? We've seen various evil powers around our world crumble and fall. Enough is enough. Are you guys with me this morning? And so this message, these words right here in these verses must have been just, just filled these people with such great hope, these people, these seven churches. 
Hey, you know all that evil that's been in your face? And to us, hey folks, you know all that evil that's been in our face? Well, guess what? All that evil, all that evil is going to be crushed. And it's going to end up being, you know what's going to end up being? Buzzard snacks. <laughs> right? Food for birds. Scene three, I like this one. Again, we're walking through the end of evil. Satan chained up. Chapter 20, beginning of verse 1, John says this, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hands a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent. So if you're wondering what, who this dragon was, well, it's named here. That ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. One thousand years, a millennium. Everybody who writes about Revelation is still trying to figure this one out. <laughs> right? Well, what's the deal with this thousand years? Well, what we do know is, is that John uses numbers in Revelation, right? In various ways. And, and they don't have literal numerical meaning. They're, they're all symbols of something. So what do we know? Well, we do know this. We do know what's a thousand. It's ten times itself three times, right? Ten times ten times ten equals a thousand, right? I mean, there's no argument that we know that. The number three, what does it represent? What symbol? Well, God, the Trinity. Think the Trinity. And what, what does 10 symbolize? Power and sovereignty. So just do the word math here. It's God times God times God equals God to the max. I mean, there's no doubt. This is talking about God is, I mean, this is, God's taking control here. God's in charge. God is establishing God's sovereign rule. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. In the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Satan is defeated. God's kingdom is initiated and Satan is doomed. Done. Finished. John tells us, though, at the end of this thousand-year period, <laughs> that Satan will be released for a short time. How long is that? I don't know if I like that. More on that in scene five. Hold on. It's like we're in a novel. Scene four, martyred Christians. Beginning in verse four, John says this. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. So these are martyrs. People have been killed for bearing witness to God's truth and God's love. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead, that is those who are not martyrs, right? The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years was ended. This is the first resurrection, 
Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The, the second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. One of the primary questions of John's readers here, these, these people, these seven churches, one of their primary questions is, well, what happened to our martyred friends? What happened to Antipas? What happened to Polycarp? What happened to our friends who were killed by the Romans? Where, where are they? Well, John has them in full view here. They are fully engaged in the reign of God. They are warriors against the evil that had been in their face. They are ruling over the evil that once ruled over them. Simply put, hear me on this. Deceased, martyred Christians, they are not pushing up tulips and daisies from the grave. They are working with Jesus to overthrow evil. They have no fear of dying ever again. The second death, which I'll talk about here in, in another scene, the second death is no concern of theirs. Heaven is full of people who are on a mission with Jesus Christ. And their mission, which they freely and willingly chose, their mission is to work with Jesus in dealing with the evil that's been messing with us. Are you following me here? Scene five. Satan released for a short time. Here we go. John continues in verse seven. He says this. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. Here it comes. The battle to end all battles. The battle of Armageddon that we've all seen movies and everything about, right? Here we go. It's going to happen. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Suddenly it's over. Fire falls from heaven and destroys them without a single shot being fired. The end comes swiftly for these evil powers. So we may want to rethink all of those predictions and comments and thoughts about this battle of Armageddon. In this period of when Satan is going to be released. Because it seems to be to be more like a walk from death row to the execution chamber. Done. And the devil, verse 10, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, Josh is on our worship team, so he may be able to help me out here. There's this song that we sang earlier in this series. I think it goes this way, Josh. I think it goes, I think the words in Revelation go this way. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. Is that how it kind of goes? Yeah. Man, I'd love it if our worship team and Ashley would get around and write a song on this one. 
Day and night, night and day, tormented forever, right? Like the evil one. Probably not that tune, Josh, because it kind of has like a somber tune to it, but like something that has a driving beat to it that a drummer would like, they're getting beat on forever and ever and ever, right? All right, I digress, but I think you get my point. They're done. They're done. But John is telling us here, yeah, the devil hasn't changed. The devil's all about what? The devil still wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. Steal our joy. Kill our spirit and destroy our relationships. That's what the devil, Satan's all about. But Jesus says, even though the thief has come to do that, I have come, John 10, 10, I have come to give you life so that you can have it to the full. And so the end comes swiftly for Satan. Satan joins the beast, the false prophet, and all the other minions of evil in this lake of fire forever and forever. And this, my friends, well, this is the last time we ever hear about the devil again. The book of Revelation, this letter of Revelation, never mentions the devil again. Done. Over. Evil. Done. What next? Well, scene six, Judgment Day. Now, we talked about Judgment Day a few times in this series. We talked about it in chapter six. We talked about it in chapter 11. I told you we'd get to it in chapter 20 again. And here's what we're told, Judgment Day. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. There's a couple books here. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had. I'm having trouble reading that word. Can you read it for me? I can't hear you. Can you say a little louder? Okay, yeah, so just so we're clear here. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Remember, true repentance brings evidence with it that is a change of behavior, Okay. Then, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. So remember how we talked about the martyrs. They didn't fear the second death. The second death isn't going to touch them. This is what we're talking about. The second death is this lake of fire that goes on forever and ever and ever. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Apparently, what we do, how we live, is noticed. There is a book of deeds. We are responsible for what we say and do. But there's also a book of life. And I'm glad that God keeps two books. Usually when we think of a company keeping two books, the one isn't cool, right? I'm glad that God keeps two books. One that reflects the raw record of my life. The other one, hear me on this, the other one that reflects the presence or the absence of a transforming encounter 
with the risen lamb, Jesus Christ. One that reflects the presence or the absence of a transforming encounter with the warrior for my soul, for my spirit, Jesus Christ. Are you guys with me here? The books on Judgment Day are opened. Everyone's there. No one sleeps through Judgment Day. Everyone's awakened and risen by God's accountability alarm clock. Again, everyone's there. No one misses. For me, I think, we'll see, but I think one of the saddest, well, I can tell you this, the saddest right now when I read this verse, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire, that for me when I read that verse is one of the saddest statements in this entire letter. And it makes me ponder and makes me think about that, that day. And whether I'm going to see Jimmy or Mickey or Ricky or Bobby or Maddie, Richie, whether I'm going to see that their names aren't in that book. People that I may have known in this life. People that God had put in my sphere of influence that for whatever reason I was afraid that day or I didn't want to have that uncomfortable moment. God wanted to use me to point them in God's direction and I, I blew it. Makes me also think, and this gives me the cold chill, makes me think about who I was before I was a follower of Jesus Christ. As a blankety-blank lawyer. He was a hypocrite, a church attendee, and then did whatever I wanted during the week. It makes me think, oh my goodness, did I actually turn people away from God because of my hypocritical living? It just humbles me now before my Lord and Savior. Oh, every day matters. Every moment matters. It's almost overwhelming, Lord Jesus. I need your Holy Spirit on me continuously because I, I, I don't want to point someone to the way that leads to death. I don't want to miss an opportunity that's just been put right in front of me by God because I may feel a little uncomfortable. They may say, oh, no. Are you with me this morning? Just, just sharing my own, my own wrestle with this. Life is so precious. Don't you agree? And so this rebellion that began in the Garden of Eden has finally come to an end. This, my friends, is the end of evil as we know it. But it's not the last scene. Here's the next scene. Scene seven. The new heaven and the new earth. John says this beginning in chapter 21, verse one. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, preparing 
prepared as a beautiful dress. <laughs> Let's see if I can read that again. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What's left? Well, God's final act of creation. And it's one of my favorite lines in all of Revelation. I have a lot of favorite lines in Revelation. This is one of them. One of my favorite lines here, again, verse five, God says this, I am making everything new. God finishes what God started. Interestingly, in God making this creative move here, he begins with what? He begins with a passed away heaven and a passed away earth. Evil has killed them, just like evil killed Jesus Christ, but we do know what God does with the dead trophies of evil, right? Remember the slaughtered lamb? Remember the crucified Christ? Who God raised from the dead, right? That's what God does with the dead trophies of evil. He raises them up from the dead, just like God has done for us, for everyone who gives their complete allegiance to God. Are you guys with me this morning? God wins. God wins. God wins. And guess what? He's bringing with him a new heaven and a new earth. And there is no sea this time. For all of us who live in Oregon, who really appreciate seacoast beauty, don't worry, I don't think God's eliminating that. <laughs> Remember what the sea stands for as we looked at in Revelation chapter four, chaos. So again, making this definitive statement, chaos is no more. Those waves of life that overwhelmed us are gone. Death is gone. Tears are dried up. And mourning is over. Pain has expired. Anybody here feel physical pain? Well, this, it's gone forever and forever. And crying is no more. In this scene, we see God's final act, his grand plan of all time. It's God's mission statement. It's what God's been up to all along. Let me read it to you again, verse three. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. It's all God has ever been interested in. Living with us, living in right relationship with us forever and forever and forever, being our God and us being God's people. And here in the, the new heaven, in the new earth, there is no more threat 
of evil. Evil has ended forever. God's mission is accomplished, it's done, it's finished. God wins. And really the only question that that needs to be answered, and really it's the question that has been screaming to be answered through this whole letter of Revelation. And it's really the question that's been screaming to be answered as we read through this whole book called the Bible, the Word of God. Will we follow God in this life? In every way and every day. Will that be our heart desire? Last week I asked you the question, so tell me then, who are you? God follower? Or a follower of something else? In this movie called The Flight which came out in 2011, starring Denzel Washington. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that movie. It's actually based on a true story. A story about a pilot. And this pilot is an alcoholic. If you know anything about flying, that doesn't mix. Okay, he's a commercial air, airplane pilot. Like, if you, if you have, you're done. I mean, your wings are taken, it's over. You just can't. You can't even drink. You can't drink, like, I think it's like two or three days before. You just can't have any alcohol, and you can't definitely drink the, the day. Well, this story is about, is about this pilot, and, and his whole life has been a lie. He's a walking, functional alcoholic. His entire family has just, he's been, they just basically almost disowned him because of the way that he lives. He keeps his job going because he's a great liar and just lies and lies and lies and lies. Well, this movie's about this crash that happens. And so, so the movie comes back and forth in and out. And he's, he's sitting in this auditorium with this panel of experts that are going to de- decide his fate. And the place is packed because he saved a lot of lives in this crash. The panel agreed, holy smokes, this, no one should have been able to do what you did to save, to save this plane from just nosediving completely and destroying everybody. No one. So they're trying to figure out. He inverted it. It was a really crazy thing. But the one thing that happened is, is, is that he, he had suspended all the, the drinking service, right? He couldn't drink, no food. But there were two things of vodka that had been downed. And so they wanted to question him about it. If he, if he drank that, he's done, right? And so His blood test came back. It was hard to tell. Something happened. I can't remember. And this one flight attendant, who he knew, it looked like it was going to be pinned on her. She'd lose her job. And so they're sitting there, and they asked him questions, and he answered them. He lied. He lied. He lied. He lied. And then it got to her, and they asked him, well, do you think she's the one that drank these two things of vodka? And he's sitting there. He takes a drink of water, trying to collect himself because he knows what's at stake. And he finally says, no, I, I, she, I don't think she drank them. They said, how do you know? He goes, because I drank them. In fact, not only did I drink them, I was, I'm, I'm, I, I drank that day. I, I'm actually drunk right now. I was drunk the day before. I was drunk the second day before. I was drunk the third. Every question, I was drunk the whole time. I am an alcoholic. The next scene you see is him, this is at the end of the movie, you see him in prison. 
because he has to pay a price. There's consequences of our actions, right? And he's sharing his story to these prisoners. And he says, he goes, I know this is going to sound odd as he shares his story. I know this is going to sound odd because I'm in prison right now. But guess what? I feel free for the first time in my life. I'm no longer an alcoholic. I am free. I came clean. The last scene of the movie, his son comes to see him, flips to that. He's sitting on a bench with his son, and his son asks him this question. He says, says, Dad, I'm filling out this college application, and my admissions counselor said I should come interview you, and I have to write an essay, and the title of the essay has to be this, a person that I never knew. So I got to ask you a question. Who are you? And Denzel responds, that's an interesting question. Who are you? Who are you? Is there anybody here today who just wants to come clean? (laughs) I'm done living a lie. I'm coming clean between, before my Lord and Savior. Is there anybody here who wants to come clean and begin this God adventure with this God who loves you this much? Anybody? Just raise your hand if you want. I know, no head, I see your hand. <laughs> anybody else? You just, yeah, I see your hand. Anybody else? Yeah, everyone, yeah, I see your hand up there. Everyone just walk, yeah, I see your hand. Mm-hmm. Just come clean, it's, there's freedom there. <laughs> you don't have to live in that prison anymore that the evil one has you in. You can live a life of freedom with the warrior of your soul if you want to look at Jesus that way, the lover of your soul. <laughs> this, this, this God who died so you can have life. Oh my goodness. I want to follow that God. I want to follow the God. Are you with me? Because followers of God, here we go. Followers of God, get ready for an adventure. You never know where God may lead you. And with that, there may come suffering to various degrees. There may even come death to being a follower of God, depending on where we may live in this world, right? But I tell you this is, you're gonna live forever and ever and ever in right relationship with God, forever and ever and ever, where there is no more pain, crying, death, etc., etc. no more evil, amen? And if we choose not to follow God, As we look through this letter of Revelation, I think we all know what, that that path doesn't lead to a healthy place, right? Bad things, man, bad things. So again, who are you? Who are you? Because God wins. God wins. Who's your God? Do you want to win with God forever and forever? 
What say you, people of Church on the Hill? What say you? Are you in it to win it? Just checking. Well, for all of you who have chosen to follow God, will you, will you join me today in, in a victory feast by sharing the Lord's Supper together? I know we're still COVID conscious here, so it's not like it's a big banquet table where we're just oh, eating with our Lord and Savior. But let's take a moment to think about this victory feast. This, this my friends, this little, little wafer of little biscuit thing. Man, this represents Christ's body, the, the slaughtered lamb that was beaten, ripped and torn apart for you. So you could have victory over evil, over sin, over death, forever and forever and forever. So take, eat, and remember. And live in victory. God wins. And then this, on the other side, is this little cup of juice that, that represents Christ's blood that was shed and poured out for you. That just, just eliminates, washes all sin from our life. Done, gone. We experience the grace of this forgiveness of sins, right? Jesus died so we could live. Jesus' blood was shed so that we could live forever and forever and forever. So this morning, we just take and drink this and remember. And please remember that what Jesus did was just not for us. What Jesus did is for everyone that God has created, right? God, as we're told in 1 Timothy, God, God, God wants everyone to come to know God. And so as you, as you received this this morning, as you remembered that Christ's body was broken and poured out for you, may you leave here today being people who are willing to be broken and poured out for everyone in your sphere of influence who's not following God yet. So they may come to know this God. And live life with this God forever and forever and forever. Are you guys with me this morning? Oh, I love this song we're going to sing. Even so, come. God, we're asking you to come. God, thank you so much for coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ. For living amongst us. Experiencing everything that we've experienced. Mm. And then taking our place on the cross. Paying the price for our sin. So that whoever believes in you, whoever just gives you their complete allegiance will not perish, that is, be separated from God forever, but will have eternal life. That is, will live in right relationship with you forever and forever and forever, and that can begin right here, right now. Mm, God, please make it so. Use us to change this world. Use us 
to expand your kingdom here on earth. In your mighty name, we pray and ask. If you're someone who raised your hand or if you're someone who just needs prayer this morning, you just want to interact with someone, I'm just going to invite you when the service is over just to come up here to our, to our altar. Kristen will be up here to pray with you. Our two prayer team leaders, Jim and Tina, will be here to pray with you. I know we're still in some weird times, but if it matters, they've been vaccinated, so they're, they should be okay. But man, I want to give you an opportunity to have a little dialogue, just to have someone to go battle for you this morning. And if you're wrestling with any, anything, I, I want you to have that opportunity just to come and just be prayed over, prayed with, because we just want to live life with you and you live life with me. You got my back, I got your back, right? I pray for you, you pray for me, right? Oh my goodness, I, I love you guys. I want to spend eternity with you. Oh, please remember that God wants to use us every day to point people in God's direction. Every day matters. Every moment matters. So Holy Spirit, oh, please just continuously fill us with you. I want your fruits coming out of us, your love, your joy, your peace. Oh, your goodness, your gentleness, your kindness, your faithfulness, your self-control. No matter what circumstances, no matter what the situation may be in our world, in our community, in our personal lives, may we always bear testimony to your love and your truth. And as people who, who aren't following you yet, as they see us work through difficulty or just celebrate the good, may, may they just see something different and be drawn to you as you love them through us, God. Oh God, please. Expand your kingdom through us. Oh, God, please come. Have your way. Move. And then use us. Just use us as you see fit. In your mighty, powerful, transforming, and life-giving name of Jesus, we pray and ask. Amen and amen. You are dismissed and go change the world.